Our reading today comes from John, the 20th chapter, beginning in the 19th verse. Um, I'm giving it to you one way on the screen. I'm going to read it to you in another because this is one of those verses that when you hear um, a different translation, you hear something totally different that needs to catch your, uh, your ear. That evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told them, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors are locked, but suddenly, <coughs> as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told them, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in the addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. You know, our gospel reading um, today has moved beyond what we heard on Easter Sunday. Mary Magdalene being the first to find the news and to see the risen Christ. Now there have been many others that are experiencing this, and we see this. But then there's Thomas. This passage in the book that God gave us is read throughout the world. And it has had such an effect that it has coined a phrase that we all use, Doubting Thomas. It's pretty powerful stuff. How would you have reacted if you had been Thomas? Or you would have been one of the apostles? How would you have reacted to this? What do you think 
of Thomas when you read this passage? Are you sympathetic in any way? Are you critical? Are you a tough judge calling him faithless? You know, there are other disciples reacted somewhat like Thomas did at first. So he's not really the first to be skeptical, but we like to pin it on him, don't we? You know, Jesus seems to cast his vote in that exact same side when you read it. He's pretty critical of Thomas when he says, when I grew up reading the RSV, he says, do not be faithless, but believing. When you read that, you kind of want to go, ouch. I mean, that's pretty critical stuff to have Jesus telling you you are faithless. Or did he? One of the reasons I want you to hear it in a different version is because I'm going to read it to you in a minute in the English Standard Version. And that is because that version of the Bible, that translation, is um, probably the closest we are given to the true original Greek translation. And he says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put, your, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's a kinder, gentler version Instead of do not be faithless. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Raymond Brown, who um, is considered one of the greatest authorities on the Gospel of John in the last century, translates it this way. Do not persist in your disbelief, but become a believer. Do not persist in your unbelief, in your disbelief, but become a believer. That's not a criticism, criticism as much as it is an urging an encouragement to believe. And how did Thomas respond to that? With a bold proclamation, my Lord, my God. I have to confess that I have taken comfort over the years in the words Jesus spoke to Thomas. Just after this confession, this proclamation, my Lord, my God. Jesus says, have you believed because
because you have seen them? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Every time I read that, I think, wow. He's speaking to me. That's me. I haven't seen Jesus, but I believe. And that's you. Sitting here on this Sunday, you haven't seen Jesus, but you believe. Jesus is speaking to those who are going to come after because he knew there was going to come a time when there were no more eyewitnesses walking on the earth. Jesus' words make it clear that those who are to come in the future who believed without seeing are not in any way inferior to those who saw Jesus face to face. We fully participate in the benefits of his resurrection just as those who saw him after the resurrection. There are parts of the gospel that asserts that those who have not seen yet believed have a greater faith. The author of the letter to Hebrews, you know this saying, you know this passage, you've heard it, it's famous. The faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things unseen. No faith was required on the part of the apostles who saw, who touched, who experienced with their own eyes, who ate with him, who touched him, who knew him through all five of their senses before his ascension. They saw, they knew the truly resurrected Jesus from the dead. It is important to find, point out that those who, like Thomas, have not seen but believe faith is not generated by our own effort. You can't will it into being. The disciple Thomas could not have made himself believe. Faith in the end is a gift from God. Just like all the other spiritual gifts he gives us. God works with us. We seek him, we take steps to find him, and he reveals himself to us. That is a paraphrase from Matthew 7, 7. You know, there's a story in the book of God, uh, the Gospel of Mark, you may be familiar with it, where the father brings his son who suffers seizures to the disciples, but then they're not able to heal him. And that's when Jesus steps into the scene. 
and he comes in right in the middle of the disciples arguing with the scribes about why they can't heal the boy. And the father of the boy then appeals to Jesus and says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus responds, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. That's another ouch moment Jesus has given us here. What a dagger that must have been to the heart of the Father. If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Seems as if Jesus is putting it back on the feet of the boy's father. Can you imagine how he felt, his father felt, the heartache and his painless awareness, painful awareness of his own weakness and powerlessness? He wants to be able to do what Jesus asked of him, but he can't. The scripture then records something I think many of us can relate to. Immediately, the father of the child cries out, I believe. Help my unbelief. I've said that. I have cried out to God, I believe, but i got to have some help here, sir. How many of you have been right there? We say to the Lord, show me. Show me that it's true. Help me to know and not doubt. That may have been what Thomas was feeling in his heart. Can you look at Thomas again in a different light, through a different lens? It might tell you more. John tells us more about Thomas than any other of the gospel writers. Maybe it's because John is fond of Thomas. We don't know, but it is only in this fourth gospel that we find this story. But John writes more stories about Thomas. Do any of y'all remember chapter 11 during Lent? I know it was a couple of weeks ago, but we studied this. When Jesus tells his disciples that they are returning to Judea, and they're like, why why are we going back there? Do you not remember that the authorities tried to kill us? Most of them were terrified. They were afraid, but it is Thomas who boldly encourages the others and says, let's go, that we may die with him. Thomas is no shrinking violet. He is bold and he is fearless. But like the other disciples, like us, he sometimes struggles to understand Jesus. But unlike the other apostles, he's not afraid to speak his name. He is not afraid to ask when he doubts. He is not afraid to.
to ask Jesus to explain. John 14, we studied that too on the way to Lent. John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would not, not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Amen. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. It is at this point in the conversation, I always envision the disciples kind of talking among themselves, sort of leaning over. You know how you do that when somebody's saying something? Y'all might do it on Sundays when I'm saying something. Y'all say, do, do you know, know what he's talking about? I have no idea. Is the conversation. Somebody goes, you ask him. Are you kidding? I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. Can't you just see them having that conversation? But who is it that steps up? Thomas. He asked the Lord, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we find where you are going? How do we know the way? It is Thomas's questioning that gives us one of the most beloved and beautiful passages in the Bible, one of the very best known I am statements. We heard it there in Lent. You remember it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. No one comes to the Father except through me. I have an Episcopal friend uh, who was an Episcopal priest, Mark McDonald. Um, he married my best friend's wife, and, and he wasn't always in the ministry. So we have great conversations together. And I was emailing him about something else, and I happened to tell him this was my passage for um, Sunday. And he, he and I got into a conversation, and he shared a bit of, his insight about Thomas that I, I won't share with you. He says, um, Thomas, what the emotions Thomas was going to, you have to remember that, that on that Easter, he along with the other disciples has seen Jesus murdered, but he was not there when Jesus showed up to the others. And on that Good Friday, Thomas saw in a very brutal and terrifying and heart-wrenching way Jesus' death. He had spent the three years, the best three years of his life with this man, whom, like many, he thought was the Messiah, the one that was going to rule Israel, the one who would 
do away with this Roman oppression. Thomas's soul was seared with the events of that Good Friday. His hopes and dreams dashed. He had a damaged soul. As only you can imagine, one who witnessed the painful suffering and death of Jesus would have. His grief had to be more than we can imagine. It had to be great. So much so that he never wanted to look at it again. He didn't want to revisit that. Thomas was a wounded soul. He was in pain. Why did Thomas doubt what the others had told him that Easter day? Perhaps he was still afraid, and for good reason. He was afraid. Perhaps he just hurt too much to hope again. Maybe it was because he could not bear the pain of reliving it again. His heart and soul had been ripped apart. He just couldn't take anymore. So he closed the door to his heart. And he wasn't going to open it again. Maybe he rationalized what the others had seen was in, through their grief they had just envisioned a ghost or a delusion because grief can spawn those kind of reactions. You know, Thomas was not going to allow himself to go through that again unless he saw his Lord's hands and the marks of the nails. And he could place his finger into the mark of the nails and place his hand on the side where the spear had gone through. He says, I will never believe unless I have that proof. That was his line in the sand he had drawn. That was his proof he needed. Jesus, loving Thomas, knowing his pain, comes to him and says, and he had said this to the other disciples as well, put your hand here. Feel my hand. See the marks. Put your hand on my side. Feel the wound. And he says, do not disbelieve. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's what he is saying to all of us. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Last Sunday we talked about this exact same thing when we visited Peter. And when he said, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Perhaps you believe as Peter but maybe you feel a bit more like Thomas. 
Some days it vacillates, doesn't it? Some days you're a Peter, some days you're a Thomas. I'd like to think about this question, if you're being a Thomas. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid to believe on this day? What is it that Jesus has promised that you've given up hoping for? <clears throat> We're going to prepare to sing our final hymn. It's short, to the point. But I'm going to ask you to sort of sit in silent prayer and say, Lord, I am afraid, but I want to believe. I'm willing to risk believing. So help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Jesus comes to each one of us just like he came to Thomas. Loving, urging us to believe. Because all that he said is true. Sit there quietly settling your doubts. I dare you to believe. In fact, I double dog dare you. Isn't that another phrase we have? I dare you to believe. And what we know is true, but we do not see. Jesus is risen. Jesus is with us. Amen.